0: It's okay to dream. That's I'm taking that it's away. It's okay
1: from to market. dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best line. <laughs>
0: Welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down to earth vibe. Sasquatch listens while surfing Amazon, like not surfing the Amazon, like surfing Amazon. This is Through the Pines. On this episode we cover and this is I'm a little a little nervous. This is Marriage and Money, our financial wizards this week from planwithbaxter.com. We have Rex Baxter on top in the blue suit, looking good. Dan Nelson and all white. And then Brandon with the plaid, which messes with cameras, which is awesome. So, which is, <laughs> he probably, did you no idea. He had no idea. That's right. All right. So we are going to deal with, if you're in a, a relationship with your significant other, if you're married, what do you do with your finances? This is going to be this is going to be crazy, I think, uh, to talk about. So uh, Brandon, you set these notes over. So maybe you can explain just the first, the differences between combining your money when you're in a serious relationship versus combining your money in marriage. Because we'll talk about marriage uh, in the second half here, but we'll start off with just when you're in a serious uh, relationship with someone and you want to combine your funds, what should you do? What, What are the differences between married and not married real quick, Brandon.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Brandon, thanks for having us on. So it really depends. Um, And I I figure (laughs) you you like that answer, but we try, we try, we often try to keep things separate prior to marriage and it just keeps things clean from a, a relationship. If things go South in a relationship, I've multiple times I've had people, you know, come to me and say, Hey, we want to buy a house together. Or, or we want to buy a vehicle together. We want to buy an animal together. We want, you know, what whatever those are, right? Bank accounts are probably the more simple ones. But as you start going down those routes, quite a bit can go wrong, right? You get into a relationship and, and you buy a house together. You're both on the the title of the house and something breaks on the house well who fixes it do you go 50-50 and and then obviously equity builds up and then maybe the relationship doesn't end up working out one person wants to move out now all of a sudden how do you how do you buy that other person out of their equity ownership in the house do you take out another loan and and, and so it can it can cause quite a few issues and so typically a recommendation is try to keep things separate right you can work them out kind of on the back end but but legally keep um, ownership separate until there's action until there's a marriage in place now we have a lot of clients that that aren't married and have lived together for years right and 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 by all means are functioning as as a married couple and and so that that becomes a little bit different right and, and in my mind and rex and dan i'd love you know chime in here if, if you feel differently um but in my mind it really comes down to responsibility and if one of the spouses were or one of the partners that aren't married were to pass away, is that going to put financial hardship on the other one because of kids or because of other, you know, financial obligations? And at that point, you know, it starts to, that it's, there's more gray area and we have to start combining finances.
0: Rex, do you have different thoughts on this?
1: No, my, my thoughts are fairly similar that, you know, before you're married to typically we keep them separate. A lot of people say, well, what does a little piece of paper do for you? And
0: well, there's and, legal implications for one.
1: There, there are legal implications, right? That, that, you know, if, if you're married and somebody passes, then and you don't have a will or a trust, then the assets go to your spouse. And if they don't, then they go to your parents or your family and, and things like that. So there are legal implications as, as well on the titling, but it, just like Brandon said, just makes it, it just makes it very complicated and, and can be, you know, an enormous pain to unwind if, if you're not married. I mean, it's, it's just, it's like a divorce, but without any of the legal documents in place. And so then it's, he said, she said all the way through, and, and that just makes it a nightmare. And so, you know, very rarely do we recommend combining things before marriage and, and, there's even some situations where after marriage, there's certain assets that we try and keep separate. So, so it's, it's an interesting debate, but we are probably all in the same camp. I think Dan, aren't you in the same camp? Keep it separate.
3: Totally agree. Everybody, uh, it's really difficult to uh, divide a dog in half and, uh, (laughs) and to divide a car in half and and a couch and, uh, especially a house and might be, they, they both want the house. They don't want the equity. They don't want the house. So, or neither one of them want the house, and you can sell it. But if they both want it, it's a problem. So I agree with everything that's been said, totally.
0: Sounds good. Should mention, we did get a new Facebook page and we also got a new Instagram page. So you can keep up with us on Facebook, search through the Pines. And on Instagram, it's Pines underscore podcast. So like us, follow us, and you can keep up with all the things we're we're doing here at Through the Pines and the podcast. You can catch our lives as well. So, um, I think, Brandon, you had some information on debt and what to do. So, current debt versus like, you know, how, how when do you start paying that off? Now, now, you want to talk about this from being a mar- from being married or still not being married yet? Yeah. Um,
2: I, I was thinking we followed this through, right? Pre yeah. marriage, right? And then the dating relationship, serious relationship, married. And then you know maybe we stop there, but maybe we don't and go to second and third marriages, right? And, and kind of how how financial lives morph and and, and change throughout that. I like um, it. So,
0: so we meet, so we meet someone we like them, and we both have debt. What do we do? Right,
2: <laughs> which is very common, right? And and, yeah. and so I think you, Ron. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. keep going, Brandon. <laughs> what if they're really nice, Rex? Right? So, no, so but I, I do I.
0: Oh no, it cracks me up because Brad, this is important, Brandon, Because like, is this this is a question that like Rex, when dating, would like, do you have debt? All right, next, do you have next? And then he (laughs) wouldn't find anyone because everyone has (laughs) debt.
2: Yeah. So I don't know that this is the first question you ask. Um, this is not like a dating advice podcast. There's probably a lot better ones out there (laughs) than us. But but uh, but once this once you know you really got them hooked on, they really like you. You're like wow this this could turn into marriage we're thinking about that you know it's probably a really good time and a really good idea to start talking about finances um as as you know finance is is one of the main reasons people get divorced um is is because people aren't seeing eye to eye and and they have those those uh you know uh, in differences of, of opinion and so you know, while you're dating and before you're fully committed, sometimes it's best to know, you know, know what you're, you're marrying. And so that's one of those big ones, you know, and and if I were single and dating and and going through those steps, I I think it would be healthy for debt to ask, you know, what, how much debt do you have? How much debt do I have? Where is that debt? Also, what are your a really
0: fun Saturday night, let me tell you.
2: Yeah, I don't think I'd do it Saturday night, but maybe like Saturday afternoon, you know, and you can wrap it out with like a movie or something. Yeah. But, but at some point, right, having the, those harder conversations on where, what do you think about debt, right? Because people are all over the board, right? You have some people are so, you know, scared of debt that they won't do, you know, they don't want to buy a car with debt. They don't want to do anything with that. And then you have other people that the debt is just simply a number on a page and, and they're not concerned at all. And so... I don't know that there's necessarily a right or wrong answer as long as it's all done responsibly. However, you can see when you bring a marriage together and you have one person who's terrified of debt and one person who just thinks debt is part of life and you bring them together and one's running up credit card debt and the other one's trying to pay it all off, that becomes really, really frustrating. So I think getting on the same page you know and understanding where where people are coming th- from is probably the first the first step you know, when, when dating and down the road in this podcast, I think we'll go into, you know, how do you assimilate and and bring those together? But.
0: Thanks, Brandon. I want to hear from Dan, because Dan, I heard you were, uh, were a bishop at one point. And so from the a religious aspect and dealing with kids, essentially, you know, they're who are young and they fall in love and uh maybe one has a car loan and student loans. And so does, when does, when does this become a problem an issue? When should they talk about it? How should they handle it? Uh, and then when does it get serious? And This, is a, move on.
3: this is a major issue. It really is. It, it, mm-hmm. it should not be the first question, but it certainly shouldn't be the last question that you uh, get an understanding on. Um, every, every one of the young couples that were in a, a young single adult area that I was helping, uh, we had these discussions. We talked about this now, maybe it's because they knew what I did for a living, but we had these discussions and it was very inter- interesting to me that, they did not talk about it until they were in front of me in a lot of cases. Mm. And it becomes very uncomfortable when you find out that he has eight credit cards, you know, with that are maxed out yeah. or that she has a, a loan on her car that is worth, uh, that, that is much higher than the value of the car. Mm. Um, and and, and various uh, sources of that. So it's very important to have the conversation, to understand it and to talk about how you budget your money um, because it is a major problem in marriages.
0: Well, I know Rex's threshold zero. Dan, what's your <laughs> threshold if someone has a lot of debt and, and has, you know, does that destroy relationships before they get married? No,
3: I, I don't think it destroys a relationship. Hopefully that it's not...
0: Uh, the payday
3: loans. It's not the, the, you know, on the corner loans. It's not the 28% stuff. Hopefully it's not a lot of credit cards, but to have a, a debt on a, on a car or something like that, or a car loan, there's nothing wrong with that. You've got to build your credit up. And that's the best way to do that is, is by borrowing small amounts of money uh, on uh, items like a car or a home or something like that.
0: Okay. Uh, Rex, what's the best way to start conversations about money when you're in a relationship and i know it's been a while all right before you're married before you're married you know and just say like hey let's talk about what your what are your goals in life where do you want to be and how do we combine you know how do you go about that now now you do have experience because your kids are probably having some of these conversations
1: they do they do so so my dad always told me um rex don't talk about money when you're hungry tired or stressed um, yeah. It will never end well, <clears <Yeah>. <clears <throat> and so you know. I and and so I kind of took that to heart, right? As far as when is a good time when you're both, you know, fed, happy, you know, getting along well. Then, then just kind of broach it softly with with <laughs> kind of easy questions. You
0: <laughs> then ruin it all, <laughs>
1: <laughs> then you just throw it on the table and just tank the relationship. Oh my god, no, like you, you you don't do that, but I I think I think it is important to have to ask some, some good questions. Like, do you believe that there's good debt and bad debt? Do you believe, um, you know, should we have separate accounts or, or joint accounts? Should we, um, you know, what kind of debt do you have? Is it student loans? Is it car debt, house debt, credit card debt? Um, you know, on, on the corner debt, like Dan said, and, and what's your plans for getting it paid off? Does having debt bother you? Mm -hmm. Um, are you a spender? Are you a saver? Am I a spender? Do you think I'm a spender? Do you think I'm a saver? And does that concern you or or worry you at all? Um, But I think there's a lot of those questions that need, need to be had during, during those dating years, you know, essentially a quarter of all marriages that end up in divorce are due to money. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was just a recent study done this year. And in, in addition to that, there's a divorce every 30 seconds in this country. Hmm. And so that's a lot of divorces and a lot of it due to money because people just don't communicate and don't know how to communicate about money. Um, And I I don't think there's any secret about it. I think, I think it's just having open, honest dialogue. It's okay to talk about your dreams and and it's okay to, to spend money. It's okay to take on certain debts for certain reasons, as long as you're on the same page and you've communicated about how you're going to handle it and how you're going to deal with it and, and kind of what your goals are.
0: Yeah. Every 30 seconds. That's a lot of divorce attorneys.
2: Yeah.
0: Brandon, what was <laughs> I'd, I'd, say?
2: I'd say in addition to debt, though, you've also got how do you spend your fund money, right? What are the things you want to spend money on? Is it vacationing? Is, uh, is it on toys? Um, how much? Uh, how is that allocated, right? Are you more of a systematic spender? Or is it just once in a while a big thing? And, and and again, I think same with debt, right? There's not necessarily a wrong or right answer, but I think having that understanding and practicing that open dialogue in the dating years can kind of set you up for a, a good marriage down the road.
0: Well, I'm, I'm assuming if these, rela- if these conversations are hard in the beginning of a relationship, it's not gonna get easier once you're married because it should be fairly easy early on. But um, okay, so as we move through the process here, Brandon, we're, we're dating and uh, we t- we're talking about our kids and careers uh, and everything works together and now we want to get married the first steps would be what? Joint accounts? How do we separate accounts? What do you all think is the best way to structure money going into a marriage?
1: I think we've seen it done a lot of different ways. And so I think as you get married, you need to have that discussion of who's going to pay the bills and what kind of account. Are we paying the bills out of a joint account? Am I paying the bills? Are you paying the bills? If it's a one-income family, does that mean that you know, after the bills are paid or after we've set aside a certain amount for the bills, the certain amount goes over for you to, to spend and for me to spend. I've seen that a lot of different ways. The, the way that seems to work, uh, the worst is, is completely separate accounts typically. Oh really? And, and so that's where I see more, more fights um, that typically occur is when everything is completely separate and, and it's viewed as my money and her money. And I'm going to pay the mortgage and I'm going to pay the utility bill and you're going to pay, you know, it, it, whatever, right? Garbage, sewer, water, whatever, right? And, and you kind of divvy it out that way. And next thing you know, you've, you start getting arguments about, well, I paid for the mortgage and therefore you need to pay for the next car. And, and it just tends to take off fairly quickly when I see situations like that.
2: Okay. And the, the problem is it can never be fair. Like it just will never be fair. And and I, I've seen that, mo- I mean, constantly, right? It's when people split accounts out like that. And, and by nature of random, right? It's one spouse is going to be making more than the other. And so does that spouse just get that much more extra surplus spending? Or And so you typically you see it broken out into the bills, like Rex said, and one's taking this bill and one's taking this. And, and, and it's just, you're never going to find you know, a black and white accounting fair, unless you're both making the same. I, and, and, it, and it does go south. I will say though, that oftentimes in, in not to jump ahead, but in second and third marriages, money is, is separate. Right. And, and I, th- I think it's because people have been burned financially. And so they like to keep money separately. Um, or, or there's also the instance of, of if you've got, you know, one spouse, that's a spender and one's a saver and it gets really, really frustrating one spouse and I've seen it work really well where where spouses used to have joint accounts and they go to separate accounts and that was the best thing that had ever happened to their marriage. And so I don't I don't think I you know I I think Rex is right. I think the joint accounts are kind of the ideal and and most people that are happy with each other financially usually have joint accounts. But at the end of the day you've got to understand your relationships and know that it you know a joint account might sink the ship. And and a better alternative, though it might not be optimal, is separate. You know, separating out money and and keeping things separate.
0: Okay. I uh, Okay. So I we're separate. My personal relationship, my we're separate. But here's. But we add up all the bills, and then we split the bills evenly. Because like you said, Brandon, like you make different. And then so like if I make more money, then I have more spending at the end of the day. Or if my wife makes more money. She has more spending at the end of the day because the amount we both spend towards all the bills, including savings and investing, is exactly the same per, and then we split the difference. But she's also – also, kids out there, Sugar mom is a financial plan. Don't let these guys fool you. <laughs> <laughs> it totally works. <laughs> it totally works. So uh, I, I'm lucky that way, but – uh which is, which is a good thing. Dan, what's the, what do you, you do in yeah, your family? The key to that, uh,
3: Brandon, is that you have a system. So long you have yeah. a system and it works for you as a couple, that's the key. Mm-hmm. And you got to figure out what that system is. One of the things I think we should talk about is uh, too many times uh, young couples will, will get together and right out of college and they go out and they start interviewing for a job. And they, they say, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, my job, this job is going to be paying $60,000 a year and they have the uh, impression that they're going to have a check for $5,000 every month to spend. And that's not the case. That's gross income versus net income. Really important that if you're making $60,000 a year, which works out to be about 5,000 per month, that's your gross income. What you're going to actually bring home is somewhere around. Now, I used to tell my, my kids, Uh, Just to be safe, 50%, Hmm. meaning that you got taxes, you've got insurance, you've got uh, 401k or savings, you've got after tax savings, you've got uh, uh, any type of charitable contributions that might take 35 to 50% of your check. And what you get is 2,500, and that's what you need to live on. You need to live on the 2,500, not the 5,000. And so if you're out interviewing for a job and they're saying $60,000 a year, just know that's 2500 a month or maybe at the most 3000 a month that you're going to have to live on. It might be that you need $100,000 or, or you've got to reduce your, your lifestyle uh, to make sure that you're not overspending right from the very beginning. That's really important especially for young couples, maybe first big job out of college, that type of a thing.
0: How often do you guys see uh, couples that come in and one has no idea what the other one is doing often? Very often. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's Rex, how do you handle that?
1: So, so when we go through our financial planning, it's always, it's always interesting, right? Cause one of the very first things that we do is, is we kind of build out a net worth statement. So what's your house worth? What cars do you have? You know, um, what debts do you have? And then we get down to the bank accounts and, you know, 401ks are easy. And then we get down to like checking and savings. And and we'll always ask and we'll always pause, you know, for a second and say, you know, is there anything else? And and then we'll kind of make a light joke, right? All right, who's got the secret hidden account, yeah. right? <laughs> and,
0: and- It's and, not a light joke in some instances, I'm sure, yeah.
1: Most of the time it's not, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of the time it's like, Oh yeah, I've got this $3,000 stuck over here or some amount, right? Whatever the amount is. And, uh, and I've had a, a, I've had he needs to
2: leave, I've had he needs to leave the room before before we talk about this.
0: <laughs> yeah, do they come clean?
1: Sometimes not all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I would always know, right? Yeah, I mean, because if they don't come clean, then do I know that they didn't come clean?
0: No, I mean, it'd be later, you know, later on. Yeah, an and, later and that on. happens
1: pretty frequently to where you know, one year, two years, three years into it, all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, yeah, this account is on here," and the husband will say, "Well, what happens to that? You know, two hundred dollars that you stick in that other account every month? Where's Where's mm-hmm. that at?" Mm-hmm. And and you can just feel there's a little bite, a little edge to that conversation, a little animosity about hey, you're, you're stashing money and hiding it from me, and and that doesn't feel good. You know, you shouldn't have to hide it from me. It should be out in the open so we can talk about, I don't mind you spending the money. It's just why can't we have a discussion about it?
0: And, well, uh, and that's yeah, where
1: communication comes in.
0: Because people like to do different things with their money. Um, let's talk about that real quick. So you, how do you deal with – personalities that are different so one's a saver one's a spender uh, I think you even had in the notes like what happens when you have two savers and they just don't spend anything I I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast where there's a one there's a podcast out there I can't remember the name of it and he essentially tells people it's okay to spend your money because some, there are people out there that just save and save and save and never live so how but how do you deal with with uh, people who are married and they have completely different Uh, views on money and you're meeting with them for the first time.
1: So uh, generally we have that discussion about, you know, are you a saver or spender? And, and when we find that they are opposites, um, then, then we have the discussion about how do you, how do you budget? How do you balance that out? How do you communicate about that? And, and how's it working for you? And, and so sometimes we kind of get into a little bit of a counseling mode um, about different ways to, to discuss it and communicate about it. And, and you know, that's on, on the planning side of what's kind of nice as far as our the way we do budgeting is we kind of do it backwards, right? That we look at what debts we're paying, then we look at what monies that we need to be saved, and then everything after that can kind of be spent. And, and so if you have a spender, then they kind of have permission to go and spend part of what's left there and not feel guilty about it. And so it actually can be kind of liberating to a spender because they felt guilty all these years about going out and and spending a certain amount. And now all of a sudden they can within reason and, and just not go overboard and feel okay about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is, it is tricky because too often we see that, you know, one, one person in the relationship um, is not only a spender, but an extreme spender and, and goes overboard and kind of torpedoes the financial health of the relationship because they they either haven't been taught about money um, they haven't respected it or they're using it to make up for other things in their life and yeah. so it's uh, those are difficult discussions
0: have you come across the whole like i just can't spend i save everything both couples are just savers and you know their cars 30 years old and their house is 50 years old and they just they're not spending anything ever
1: yeah yeah, we, we have some. We had one that um, one couple that we work with that, you know, they, they don't have any kids and they're they're both savers. And and he wanted to retire when he was in his mid 50s. And and he did that and he kind of got bored. And so he went back and and started a job and and she still works, too. And that's been 12 years now. And she feels like she can't quit because she's covering their health insurance. Oh, my gosh, they have plenty to cover, you know, health insurance, anything else that they want to cover. Um, I mean, they could hire their own personal doctor to travel with them if they wanted. (laughs) And so, I mean, it's just not an issue. And, and yet they're so ingrained from 30 years of saving that they have a hard time turning that page and spending the money to the point that it almost feels emotionally painful to them to spend the money because it just feels so wrong to them. And, and so that's, you know, on the other side of, of the coin you know, we try and, and say, look, there is a balance. And, you know, whether you're on one side of the balance or the other, we try to get you kind of in the middle of that balance.
0: So yeah. Brandon, it, what it, about two spenders, you know?
2: Well, yeah, and I was, I was going to say, it doesn't seem like it's usually very logical, the saving versus spending mentality. It's it's more of like a gut deep, you know, either driven by fear or driven by, you know, fun, <laughs> whatever it is. And, and so, the solution, the antidote seems to be financial planning, right? Is, is establishing a plan because what if you've got two savers that all they do is spend or save, save, save. And, and they build up all this money and never do anything with it. That's like one of the most sad financial. And I've seen them multiple times, right? Like where you, you come across that person who's built up literally millions and millions of dollars and live, like you said, with old cars, old house and, and they, and they die and it does nothing, you know, versus, people who just spend, 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 and have lived with the stress their entire life of I'm never going to have enough for retirement. And then you got the spender and the saver that, that, you know, just are constantly fighting and, and, and butting heads because one feels like they have to save one just wants to spend and, and there's that disconnect. And so the financial planning is the solution because in all three of those scenarios, if you've got two savers, a good financial plan will show them. We'll go around their their scenario and say, "We don't need to. If you want to save, great. But all saving is doing is increasing your your future lifestyle up to here, which is way more than you're currently living on, right? And so maybe we repurpose that to charity or to kids or to increasing your lifestyle. Um, in the scenario where you where you have two spenders, a financial plan helps them put things in perspective and say, "All right, we've got a we've got to set." parameters and set automatic savings that it's going to get us to where we can long-term sustain. And then finally, if you've got the spender and the saver together, a financial plan helps set goals, right? It helps them understand if we can just do these things, then we're going to be all right for retirement. So the saver's happy, but then it also helps liberate the spender knowing that this is the allotment, right? This is what we can spend and still be okay. And just brings that unity to a marriage, no matter what the scenario is. Um, Ultimately, I think it just comes down to conscious decision making um, that really helps build that.
0: Not always easy, though, Brandon. Conscious decision It's a
2: lot easier than you think, though. It's a financial plan, right? These are numbers. These are black and white numbers. I can help you understand what your budget's at, and then we can project that into the future, and we can come down right now implementing it. Sure, there can be some pain points, but you'd be amazed at how it's not as painful as you think to put these things together, right? And even if we have to implement it over a couple of years to get to where we're at, the, even just the process of being, of moving in the right direction just feels so good for people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you're in pain, visit planwithbaxter.com <laughs> and uh, get rid of the pain, make the pain go away. Uh, Brandon, I, we want to get to s- some uh, facts, more numbers here, but I want to ask Dan real quick. Uh Dan, you are nearing retirement, and so I'm curious to know how money works in a marriage as one person nears retirement or and or is retired, and maybe one's working, one's not working, and that whole, like, the planning as you get towards the end there. What's that like? Boy, I should go over here and shut my door before we have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we got time. We got, don't worry. We're live on the internet, but that's okay. Yeah, because <laughs> it
3: is a topic of conversation around my house right now. Yeah, Uh, my my wife has a a great business that she runs and she loves it. And my daughters are involved. And so they're going to continue to do that. I've done this business 42 years and I'm ready to be done pretty well and uh, move and do other things in my life. And so um, because I've been in this business and I am a little bit of a saver, I do enjoy nice things, but we're fine financially. But the question is, what do you do with your time? And, and how do you go into retirement where maybe one is going to be retired and the other is not? You still have to find activities and things that you can get involved with, whether it's volunteering or whatever it might be to, to fill your day and to make sure you're still adding value to society as opposed to yeah. uh, sucking it out of society. Yeah. And so uh, that's something that we have a constant... Uh, we're constantly talking about around my home right now, frankly.
0: Well, and the dynamic between somebody working and not working. And um, I mean, especially if you've both worked. Now, if one has is, is never worked the whole relationship, then it's not a big deal. But if one's working and likes to do that and and wants to keep on working and the other wants to retire, then I wonder what the the relationship difference is between that. You know what I mean, Dan?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and, and where we live here in northern Utah uh, January and February is not my favorite time of the year anymore. It used to be when I was young and I was skiing, but it's not my favorite uh, time of the year. And I want to go south, someplace warm, yeah. and that is a busy time for her and her business. And so mm-hmm. that's a that's a uh, something you need to work through, just like you have to work through uh, forty four years ago when we got married. You know, as far as money and and who's gonna who's gonna handle everything. So yeah. those are things that it's a constant plan and you continue to plan throughout your whole life because you never actually stop planning. Mm.
0: Well, that's the, that's the key. Brandon, you got some more numbers?
2: You bet, Jeff. I know. So th- this is, uh, the federal reserve has, has some numbers that they track. And, and this I thought was interesting. It said the top 1% of American households own 53.9% of equities in the United States. And that's, you know, individual stocks, mutual funds, ETFs. Um, but, but the top 1% own over half of all, of all stocks in the U.S. Then the bottom 50%, right? So we're leaving out that, that upper 49%. But the bottom 50% of American households own just 0.6% of equities in the United States. And I thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, people always say, well, well, if you want to be wealthy, do what the wealthy do. And, and I don't think it's any surprise to anybody, but, but owning stocks, right, owning equities is, is really an, a very good way to increase your wealth in a, in a predictable, meaningful manner. And, and you can do that, you know, in your 401k, you can do that in IRAs, um, you can do that in a variety of ways. But I think the key component is, is owning an asset that's going to grow for you and work for you over time.
0: Okay, this is off the topic of marriage, but on that, Brandon, what's a sixty forty portfolio? Because I heard this earlier today, and the, it was sixty forty portfolios uh, enjoyed, if you will, give me, you know, grant me that word, the worst quarterly performance ever. So, <laughs> what what is a sixty forty portfolio?
2: Yeah, sixty forty portfolio is just a it's a really quick and easy way for us to say, you know, how conservative or how aggressive is. Is a portfolio so sixty forty would be sixty percent equities or stocks and forty percent fixed income or bonds. Um, obviously, there's a lot more that goes down into that, but at a high level, right? That's that's sixty percent more aggressive, forty percent more conservative. To to that article's point, right? We we went through somewhat of a unique this last quarter was somewhat unique, or really the last six months have been unique in that usually there's somewhat of an inverse relationship between the economy and interest rates, right? As as the economy does better, typically interest rates will slowly move up. And then if we see a recession, we see a COVID, we see something like that, the federal reserve, that's their main lever is pulling on interest rates, dropping interest rates to stimulate the economy. Well, the way bonds work and not to go clear off into the weeds with this, but the way bonds work is when you drop interest rates on a bond portfolio and you, let's just say you're owning a bond that's paying 5% and now all the new bonds are only paying 2%. Who wants your 5% bond? Well, everybody, right? And so people will pay a premium for your bond. And so what that does in that 40% of your portfolio in a down market, that 40% really, you know, expands and, and outperforms. And so, but in this last this last downturn, we had equities go down and then we had the bonds go down because not instead of lowering rates, they started rising rates to fight inflation. And so there's been a, quite a few articles written about it just because it, it was somewhat unique in the, in the uh, you know, there were fewer places to hide, right? You had to be more in alternative strategies and, and things like that, um, whereas in a typical downturn like we're experiencing, your bonds – a lot more weight than they did this
0: last time. Interesting, Rex. Uh, let's speaking of sixty forty. When couples get together, and you know, sixty percent of the couple wants to save, wants to save this amount of money and be and be wealthy. And the the forty percent of the couple is like, no, no, we don't need to save that much. We need to spend. What you know? How much of that is financial planning, and how much of that is you putting on your? Um, it's, I don't know human relationship psychological hat and just trying to get these two on the same page
1: so so before they come to us the vast majority of that discussion and i don't know who the 60 or the 40 is i don't is, know I don't, yeah <laughs> the, the vast majority of that discussion is just emotional it's just somebody's opinion of hey i'm a saver and i think 60% you know or whatever amount of our money should be being saved and and that's because that's how I was raised, and that's how my parents ingrained it in me, or, or this is a book I've read, or whatever the case may be. While the other person in the couple is saying, "Hey, look, you know, I had somebody pass away early. I'm going to live for today, forget tomorrow. You know, life's too short." And 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 so they kind of get tugging at the question from a very emotional standpoint, and and that's where conflict thrives, is in those emotional times. And so when they come to us and, and we're talking about, you know, how much should they be saving? What are they saving? And, and we actually dig it out of them a little bit as far as, you know, what do they think should be happening? Then, then like Brandon said earlier, right? The numbers are pretty black and white, right? If you, if you want to live on X for the rest of your life, then we need to be saving a certain amount and growing at a certain rate and, and working for a certain amount of time. There's only so many levers that we can pull on in order to, to affect that change. And so you can you can work longer or shorter. You can save more or spend more. You can live on more or live on less. Um, or you can be more aggressive or more conservative. But when you boil it down, those are kind of the levers, kind of the variables that you have control of. And so that's, that's the balance of if we get used to living a certain way today, and then all of a sudden we have to cut that in half, when you turn 60 or 65 or 70 or whatever that retirement age, is that going to be okay to you? And 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 typically the spender will say, well, I'll I'll be gone before then. And the saver will say, No, that's not okay with me. And so you kind of have to look at, you know, what is the the longevity of the family and and what does that look like? And how long, you know, should we be planning for? And and, you know, kind of dig out that emotional response of are you really okay if all of a sudden not only do you not get to go spend, but now we've got to sell the house and go live in a mobile home. And, and you're probably going to be pushing carts at a Walmart or target, um, in addition to that. And is that picture okay with you? And, and they, they kind of, they kind of roll their eyes like, yeah, that would never really happen, but I assure you that happens. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's, those are tough, tough discussions sometimes.
0: So you mentioned how many people get a divorce because of money. how how does using a financial planner or how would using a financial planner perhaps prevent some of those, if not a lot of those, divorces?
1: I, I think it I think it can help because it can provide a, a platform for communication for them to to air out you know what their biases are, why they feel a certain way, and and why they're they're such a strong saver, why they're such a strong spender. And, and it, it kind of can bring them into a middle ground of agreement as to this is you know, what we're doing today isn't working and it's causing, you know, some extra fights and animosity and discord in the marriage. And so how do we, how do we fix that? And, and this is one of the, the ways that we can kind of work on that is, is making sure that we do have common ground and common goals and that we're transparent and, and open about talking about it. I, I think that that's important
0: yeah planwithbaxter.com if if that is something that you need perhaps or or you know you want to explore more of uh what happens when you know people mature they decide you know what i need to be married for a 19th time you know maybe seven times six i don't i saw an interview 19th. on tv the other, yeah i saw it well eight uh i saw an interview it was this lady from utah random who had been married like eight or nine times and she was on the news getting married again. And I'm like, what in the heck is she thinking? Anyway, so second and third marriages, you've been through some things, you've seen some things. Now you want probably more control over your money. Who wants to take this this question? Uh, like how do you structure, how does that, how's it different from um, other marriage, you know, what marriage number one, I guess.
1: Dan, what have you seen? I'm gonna throw this at you, Dan. What have you seen over your career on on, multiple, you know, second, third, fourth marriages.
3: Usually when you get to the third marriage, there's a lot more separate accounts. There's a lot more agreement as you go into the marriage that I'm going to pay for the groceries this week. You're going to pay for them next week. I'm going to pay for the insurance uh, on the truck. You're going to pay for the insurance on the car. Usually when you get to a second or a third marriage for sure, a lot more, because they usually are mature, they've been around, they've had a lot of bad experiences and some good experiences, but usually bad experiences with money. So they're a little bit more prepared and there usually is more communication before they get married about money. Uh, at least that's what I've noticed. Now, it, does it does it ever get easy? No, it doesn't. Uh, it's, it's probably just as easy, maybe a little bit easier to get divorced from a third marriage than it is a first, because once you've done that, and it's, you can see that that this isn't getting any better, and it's because of money, usually they won't spend a lot of time to try and fix it, which is sad, because we could help. Uh, financial planning could definitely help with any type of these types of situations. So,
0: All right. What about prenups? When, when are they, you know, when's it a good idea to have a prenup? That is a um, interesting subject, isn't it? Because.
3: <laughs> is that a lack of trust question? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody really uh, goes into a marriage thinking I'm going to get divorced. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really hard uh, four days before the wedding to say, well, you need to sign this piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, thinking it be you know, before this. Yeah, I'd have. I've seen those conversations, and I've seen them where that marriage actually didn't play, take place three or four days later because of that conversation. But it was a good conversation to have in the situation that I was talking about. Um, usually, it's really important if it's a second or third or fourth marriage. You should definitely have some type of a prenup, and it might be that the uh, the female has uh, the most to lose here as far as financials concerned. And so uh, she should definitely protect herself in that sense, uh, or vice versa. So it's a good idea in those situations, but not an easy subject to bring up.
2: Just to define, uh, probably uh, I might, anyway, prenuptial agreement (laughs) is is what we're talking about, right? You go to an estate planner, you say, hey, draft up some documents that says, if this marriage doesn't last, I keep everything that I brought to the marriage. Um, and, and yeah, anyway, thought I'd define that.
0: <laughs> so Brandon, this is an interesting question you put on your notes here. What happens when a surviving spouse marries a much younger spouse late in retirement? What, how does what is this? Pretty enough. Yeah.
2: Prina. <laughs> so, so it happens, it happens a lot um, yeah. where, where, you know, a spouse is getting older, they want someone to help take care of them or they just are, you know, lonely or they want, you know, and, 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 and the, the difficulty comes where you have, uh, you know, kids who will lose one spouse. Right. And then they have once or sorry, kids will lose one parent and they'll have a surviving parent. And then that parent goes and gets married and then passes away. And so now both their biological parents have now passed away, but the kids still don't have an inheritance. Right. And then oftentimes the relationships, right. Aren't as strong with the step mother that came into the, you know, late in the scene. And, and, and so then she, you know, might take with the way marital laws are would take that money and, and, and live the rest of her retirement or his retirement, and then potentially pass that on to their beneficiaries. And so, again not a right or wrong answer but definitely one that should be be explored right and I've seen it done a lot of different ways as far as do you, you know do you have a trust in place where where you know the, when the final biological parent passes that there are assets carved off that pass on to the to the beneficiaries or or is it a situation where you know they've been together long enough and they need and they feel like they need to take care of the, the, the newer spouse and, and they need that, those assets. And so not a right or wrong answer. And and a lot of really difficult answers that I've seen time and time again, you know, uh, fights and and heartbreak over, but I think it's a subject that absolutely should be talked about hopefully before marriage, but if not, you know, during marriage, how, how does this all play out? You know, when, when you're both not together, where do assets go? When do inheritances come into play and, and who gets what?
0: Uh, another thing i want to cover before we close out this podcast is inheritance and uh, let's just say uh you are lucky enough to have a sugar mama and so she makes all the money and you know you don't make a whole lot but let's say her parents pass and a lot a lot and they have a lot of money coming in and you know the wife is the beneficiary not the husband so she would assu- i'm assuming get the majority of that money how do does that cause strife in relationship, in relationships? How how is that best handled? Who us take that?
1: I'll, Rex has I'll take to take that. this one. Yeah, I'll take that one. Well, Rex, you have you so you've
0: experience in this.
1: If you're if you're a professional podcaster and you have a sugar mama, then and he's going to receive an inheritance. <laughs> then,
0: uh, this is great. This is great.
1: So, then you know normally on inheritances, one lots of times the couples will kind of talk about it, and and most of the time the, the non inheriting spouse kind of views it as, Hey, that's your money. You know, it came from your mom and dad, but every now and then you do get different opinion. And so it, normally on those inheritance, uh, we try to have the discussion of keeping the assets separate from the other marital assets, meaning in a separate account, in a separate trust, um, kind of titled separately and not used, especially if there's trouble in the marriage, then, then we don't want them to be used on a daily basis for the marriage, because then once that happens, once it's, the funds are either commingled with your other marital funds, or they're used to sustain the marriage, then it's used as a marital asset. And then if you end up getting a divorce, then half of that inheritance, you know, is is typically subject to that divorce. Whereas if we keep it separate and kind of designated separate and it's not used for, for regular living, then an argument can be made that that it wasn't a marital asset, that it was an inheritance asset. And it should stay with that inheriting spouse. And so those, those are discussions that typically we have. We try and get a sense for where their marriage is at and try and have a very open dialogue with, with both people. About the pros and cons of combining it, and and how you're going to receive it, and how it's going to be titled, and and how it's going to be handled throughout the marriage. So it's it's a very unique dilemma, um, depending upon the strength of the marriage and and how it's going. And obviously, you can't predict where the marriage is at ten years from now versus today. That yeah. that can obviously change. Yeah. So it's the, it is the interesting. Short- one. I just got to throw in there the short answer, though, Brandon, is
2: you need to co mingle that inheritance. <laughs> <Just
0: kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. Looking out for Brandon, uh, you're, you're on the younger side, I guess, in this group here, but uh, how long have you been married?
2: Uh, 12,
0: going on 12 years. Oh, that's a good, that's a decent, yeah, that's pretty good. That's like, okay, what's your uh, financial advice to married couples?
2: I, I think communication, I truly think communication is everything and, and, and coming together, understanding where, where people are at. Cause, cause like has been said on this podcast, the, the frustration usually comes when there's miscommunication or, or lack of communication that's just kind of buried and, 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 and just let to fester and, and to build, you know, that, that spite. And so really open dialogue, open understanding where things are at. I think just helps so much.
0: Yeah. Dan, what's the best way to communicate then in, in the relationship?
3: The main thing is to, to talk about uh, every type of large purchase. If you're thinking about a large purchase, you, you should have discussions about it. You should think about it for a while. You should, uh, you know, don't act immediately, look around, check things out, uh, make sure you're all on the same page, make sure it's something you're both comfortable paying for. Uh, and that, it won't be a stress on the marriage, and uh, once you do that, I think that's that's the best best idea.
0: Rex, what's the biggest difference between the way you and your wife handle money versus you know what you told your kids and how they should do it?
1: I just tell my kids to do the opposite of what we do. You know? <laughs> so, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, okay. So <laughs> I so not you know only one of my kids is married so far, and so. I, I hope we're setting a good example for my kids about communicating and, and the fact that we have, you know, two ears and one mouth, and and so you should listen twice as much as you talk and and listen for understanding and try and see where where your wife or husband is coming from and understand that. And then try and, and come to common ground and, and have common goals. Don't don't be afraid to dream, right? Dream together and have those common goals. And then, and then try and and reach them together. And that will help build that strong financial marriage. If you're both trying to achieve a similar goal together, Um, it kind of bonds you. And so it's when we're trying to achieve separate goals away from each other, that, that it causes more, more animosity. And it's not that you can't have separate goals, but it's okay to have them. Just make sure that you have common ones too. Don't just have separate goals you know?
0: I like that. It's okay to dream. It's okay to talk about those dreams.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Killing me Rex. Oh my gosh. But it's true. It's true. Because if you're like, Hey, I want a cabin one day and your spouse is like, yeah, so do I. And then you work together to make a plan to get that cabin that one, you know, otherwise it's just one person's thinking that the other person has no idea. And then you don't work towards the same goal, I guess. That happens probably well, a lot. Well,
1: and you yeah. might be fighting against each other even, right, in a situation like that to where one person's thinking it, the other has no idea. So you're sitting here pushing to save, save, save. They don't know why you're trying to save, save, save. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, let's go to Disneyland, right? And, and they would much rather have a cabin than go to Disneyland. They just don't know that that's what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so just talk and listen and, and figure it out together.
0: It's okay to dream. That's I'm taking that away. It's okay to dream. (laughs) (laughs) It's the
1: best line.
0: (laughs) Oh, dreamwithbaxter.com, right? Oh, no, it's (laughs) planwithbaxter.com. Planwithbaxter.com. If you guys want to reach out uh, to Rex, Dan, or Brandon, follow us on Instagram at pines underscore podcast and like our new Facebook page. It just searched Through the Pines and you'll find it. So thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been Through the Pines reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.